his life was taken in a senseless and brutal manner. And um, justice needs to prevail, if at all possible, um, in this lifetime. So if anyone knows anything, the family I'm sure would appreciate any tips that are out there. A brother, a son, a teacher, and a friend. He was just 44 years old when his life was brutally cut short. When you look at the crime scene photos and you go back to um, the, the descriptions of the crime scene photos from the investigators, it's, it gives you the, the idea that it was a crime of passion. It was a crime of anger. There was a lot of deep-seated anger in, involved in this, in this crime. We're taking a look back at the murder of James Roy Crosby in hopes that you can help us solve this unfinished business. Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office Special Investigator John Murtaugh is part of a team dedicated to solving the county's cold cases. Before I came here in January of this year, I had spent 23 years with the New York City Police Department, the last 13 of which I spent with the in the Intelligence Bureau. Um, working on multiple cases from criminal to, to terrorism cases. And that experience I'm hoping will translate well to researching these cases as I go forward. And when you are opening up a cold case here for HCSO, what are you looking for? Where do you start? Um, how do you utilize that experience? So the first thing we do is um, we take the, the, the files off the shelf and we start from page one. And that is learning your victim. That is learning the crime scene. That is looking at the individuals that have been interviewed in the past. Um, there's been some phenomenal work done by the investigators uh, in these case files. And, and you look back and you, you see very in-depth conversations with individuals who either were ear witnesses, eyewitnesses, people that knew the victim. Um, and you get a good picture of the whole situation. Unfortunately, due to limits in in uh, forensic uh, testing, there may have been some roadblocks that they may have come across. So as we go forward, we look at the evidence list to see what we would be able to bring into a new uh, avenue of approach in the forensic world with modern advances in DNA and uh, blood typing and stuff like that. So let's start back in 1985, I believe. Uh, what case are we talking about today? So today we're talking about the case of James Roy Crosby Jr. Uh, Mr. Crosby was a uh, language teacher at Admiral Farragut uh, Military Academy in St. Petersburg. He had been there since 1981, so he was going on his, his fourth year. Um, and he, at the time, he was living in an apartment over in St. Petersburg. Mr. Crosby, after the, his last, uh, the school year closed, in June, he was kind of just living his life, doing his thing. Um, he was very private. If you if, when you read uh, the accounts by from his family and people he worked with, he was a very private individual. Um, and they basically said that he kept to himself and that he spent a lot of time out in the evening. Um, others had, had said that Mr. Crosby had identified as homosexual um, and then would go out in the evenings, and, and, uh, and he was very private about his, his evening affairs. Um, on the evening of June 20th, he was last seen by his father. Um, he had stayed the night at the house, and then uh, on the 21st, he had left and spoken to his sister by phone, told his sister, hey, could you take the clothes out of the dryer for me? And then, hey, I want to speak to my brother as well. Can I reach out? Can you have the brother reach out? A couple of days later, he's found, unfortunately, in an in a old orange grove in Citrus Park. Uh, he was bound by duct tape at the ankles, the wrist, which where his hands were actually placed behind his hand, his back. 
His pants were lowered to his knees. There was a cloth rag and a duct tape uh, wrapped around his face that had been uh, shimmied down. So he was able to, he wasn't in his mouth at the time. And he was found face down next to his vehicle. Um, the vehicle had extensive damage to it. Um, and the crime really, when you look at the crime scene photos and you go back to um, the, the descriptions of the crime scene photos from the investigators, it gives you the, the idea that it was a crime of passion. It was a crime of anger. There was a lot of deep-seated anger in, involved in this, in this crime. However many people it was, we don't know. Um, the motivations behind it, we don't know. We don't know his whereabouts before uh, this incident. Phone records are not as extensive as they are now, so we aren't able to, to do a timeline with his uh, phone activity. And so we're looking at 1985 where we're getting witness accounts and then what we eventually find uh, as Mr. Crosby is, you know, found after he's been murdered. There are some ear witnesses in the area that describe some arguing and, and some loud fighting um, the night before he is found. Um, but there's no uh, eyewitnesses to any activity back in that area at the time. Can you say how he actually passed away? He was beaten considerably, and I apologize for not mentioning that earlier. He was beaten considerably. We believe it was with a uh, blunt object. When, the, uh, when they looked for the tire iron for his vehicle, the actual iron itself, the angle iron, was not found, but they did find the base thrown into the uh, bushes nearby, uh, a couple of feet away. Um, so they believe it may have been uh, the weapon that was used on both the vehicle and Mr. Crosby. Um, so it, he was beaten considerably and left um, with his considerable injuries. And as you said, kind of when you're looking at this case, it's kind of recreating it in your mind's eye, what it looked like, what the scene looked like. Um, this area that he was found and presumably murdered in, what was it like in, in June of 1985? So in June of 1985, it was a, what I've read was it was a former orange grove that had gone dormant. Um, so it was a pretty desolate area. Uh, when, inter when the folks in the neighborhood were interviewed, they said the area was used by individuals a lot to ride three-wheelers, to run trucks back there. Young folks hung back there and, and, and hung out and, and partied. So it was a kind of an area that was well off the, the main road. Um, and it was kind of desolate in, in, uh, from, the eye from an eye shot from the road. The area itself was, was pretty rural. They were in the process of beginning to uh, create a subdivision in that area. So it was soon to be, to, to be uh, redeveloped into a subdivision. But in the mean, at the time of this homicide, there was very little activity um, going on as far as uh, uh, any building or any changes. It was mostly just rural. And that must have created... Uh a roadblock for detectives and investigators back then. Oh, of course, I believe it does. I, at that point, you know, they, they with only a few ear witnesses without specific information, two individuals had found Mr. Crosby. They were back there on uh, on three wheelers. They had notified a, a deputy that had been in the area, um, and that was you know in the evening uh, on on the twenty fourth, uh, which was a Monday. Um, and uh, they had sh uh, flagged him down, but otherwise, it was really no. Um, way to see Mr. Crosby unless somebody went back there. James Roy Crosby's younger sister, Carrie Crisps, remembers June 24th, 1985 as the day that changed her whole life. Well, uh, the detective came to my home in the middle of the night. Um, and so I had just fed my little baby girl. Um, she was six or seven months old at that time. And um, I was awake because it was like 2.30, 2.15, 2.30 in the morning, something like that. It was the middle of the night. I had been up feeding her. So 
they banged on the door, you know, pretty loudly, knocked on the door pretty loudly, and I let them in, and they informed me that, you know, they were there about James Roy Crosby, and initially I thought it was my dad they were talking to, because Jim was a junior, and um, they said, no, it was be your brother. So I let them in, and they told me that he had been found as a homicide victim. People say things like it, it was so surreal. It, was, it wasn't sinking in, and um, I asked, well, well, how was he killed? And they, they said, we can't tell you that um, at this time. You know, everything's under investigation. And so it was just, um, it was just like a, a, a complete fog came over me. And they were there for a little bit. I, you know, I, I don't remember how long. It wasn't a real long time. Um, my baby woke up, you know, woke up while they were there. And I had to go get her. She was crying. And then I called, you know, it was just very strange. After they left, I just, it was just, at 24 years old, a single mother, you know, going through the divorce, I felt very strange to be the only one in our family who knew that Jim had been killed. So I called my brother Steve, and I called, after that, I called my brother Dan and asked him to come over in the morning in a few hours to uh, help me, you know, go tell, tell my dad and let him tell our mother. So that's how it went that night. And from what the detectives tell me, they believe that this really seemed like a crime of anger and a crime of passion. Um, but from everything you're saying, you know, that just, it doesn't add up that your brother would have an enemy with such anger. Yeah. You know, he was a private man. And so I just don't know what was, you know, relationally what was going on um, because he just did, it was just, he was a bachelor and he just didn't, he was very private. And, um, so I don't know. It's certainly you're right from what um, the file says and what was discovered. Uh, you know, with the brutality of his murder and um, the vandalism of his vehicle, it does certainly seem personal or could be hatred, like a hate crime as well. I just I, I don't know. And those are the questions HCSO is working to uncover by combing over the timeline. So he's, he, he leaves on the 21st. On the 23rd, excuse me, he's seen by a neighbor in his apartment complex uh, walking from what she believes to be the pool. He is shirtless, has a towel over his shoulder. Um, no, no small talk or anything. She observed him walking back. She assumed he was either coming or going from swimming. Um, and then the next time he's discovered is and identified is when he's found uh, murdered in the uh, Orange Grove. So you believe that he was murdered sometime between the 23rd and the 24th? Yes, I do. He, it was a bad. It was a morning time when he was seen by the swimming pool or in the vicinity of the swimming pool, the complex, and then he was found at about eight o'clock the night on the 24th. So somewhere in that ballpark. In those conversations that he had with his sister, and then the uh, subsequent in the subsequent. In the conversations he had with his sister and then his brother, did he uh, make any indications that he was fearful or felt that he was in any kind of danger? No. Uh, by going through the different um, interviews that were, on, were taken by the uh, family members, he had expressed to his sister he needed to speak to his brother but didn't particularly mention any reason. And the brother had attempted to reach out to him twice in between when the sister had gotten uh, the request and when he's found. Um, and there seemed to be no concerns 
uh, outwardly displayed. Uh, and the parents as, as well knew that he, he led a homosexual lifestyle, but he was extremely private about it. Um, and they didn't have any issues that they could speak to either that he had mentioned. And the father actually noticed that the car was in fine working order and had no considerable damage the last time he had seen it on the 20th and 21st. Is there a presumption that someone may have targeted Mr. Crosby because of his homosexuality? Unfortunately, we do not know. Um, that would be one of the things we would actually like to know, um, which is why we would like anybody who has further information on this case to come forward. And, and maybe they have some sort of uh, background information on, on his uh, relationships or um, anybody that may have knowledge of this case. But otherwise, unfortunately, we don't really have the real context to this, to the motive behind this uh, homicide. And, and so many years ha have passed from this. What are you looking for from people? What are you hoping for? Because um, I would assume that, that you're under the assumption that obviously someone knows some, something. There at least is a murderer out there who knows what they've done. Yes. So we've looked at the evidence. The evidence has been tested numerous times over the years. And as advances in DNA testing goes into a smaller amount needed, I mean, it, it, the, the, the science is, is growing rapidly and becoming more pinpointed. We're looking to retest the, the, some of the uh, evidence that was left behind um, from whether the, the, the binding of the gags. Um, and then we're also looking to find old witnesses. And, and, and just kind of sit back down and rehash the story. Speak to people he worked with at the school. Speak to people he may have been friendly with. Look at his phone records and see who he spoke to. Um, go back and, unfortunately, with a, with a case this old, though, you run into um, the roadblock of people not no longer being with us. So you hope that the ones that you do are able to, to track down do have some sort of recollection. And, and, and it also leads itself to victimology, too. So we really learn to learn our victim even more. You know, our, the detectives did a phenomenal job back then of getting a good idea of his, who Mr. Crosby was. But it would be good now, with the years behind us, to kind of get a, a renewed look at who our victim was and, and what may have, you know, brought him to that orange grove at that time. Without saying anything that would compromise the investigation, um, was DNA recovered from unidentified individuals from the scene? Yeah, there is some DNA, uh, it, but it needs to be retested. Um, and other items need to be retested. And we are in the process of uh, trying to identify who that DNA may belong to, which is another reason why we are appealing to the public to, uh, if they do know anything, to come forward. Carrie's plea is the same, that her family can have answers as to who cut their beloved brother's life too short. Jim was a very cultured guy. As I said, he went to Europe every summer for two or three weeks, um, being fluent in French and German. He loved art. Um, he absolutely adored college sports and watching uh, games with family. And interestingly, he loved beauty pageants. Um, he, the Poison Grace was a contestant. He just found it so fascinating and I love to watch it. Um, you know, as far as... Uh, telling someone who may know something about this, I just want to say, you know, he was such a support to me for many years there, the last part of my marriage that was not a healthy and happy one. And, you know, he never got to see me come out of uh, being a very poor single mom and into, you know, a successful marriage and career, which has been the last few decades of my life. And, you know, he was, um, his life was taken in a senseless and brutal manner. And um, 
justice needs to prevail, if at all possible, um, in this lifetime. So if anyone knows anything, the family sure would appreciate any tips that are out there. If you know something about this case or any of the cases featured on Unfinished Business, please call the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office at 813-247-8200. You can also submit a tip anonymously by contacting Crime Stoppers of Tampa Bay at 1-800-873-TIPS. You can always keep up with breaking details on these cold cases on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by following HCSO Sheriff.